This is the Aussie Animal Show on Triple A Radio. My name is Rob Armstrong. Welcome to the wildlife. Some news on the Gordon Koalas. There is hope yet. Correspondence uh, recently received from the Conservation Regulator's Office has informed us that in reality, no application was ever received to relocate the Gordon Koalas. Now, I don't know how this happened because I've seen statements from one of the stakeholders in this issue that clearly stated that the Department of the Conservation Regulator, the officer said that they would review any request for relocation of wildlife. So, it's not beat around the bush. The landowners of Central Highlands Water. To save those koalas, all Central Highlands Water need to do is put in an application to have the koalas relocated. Now, there is a team of rescue experts ready to volunteer and go in and do it at no cost to Central Highlands Water or Dell, the Conservation Department. All they want to do is save those four koalas. So it's in your court, uh, their Central Highlands Water. Get that application in and have this problem just go away. The headlines read, koalas incinerated in Delp burn. Seems impossible, but yeah, it happened last week. Conservation department doing a burn and koalas have been found dead. I'm talking with Anthony Amos from Friends of the Earth. Anthony, what can you tell us about this burn down at Mount Richmond near Portland in Victoria? Yeah, well, um, I was alerted about it uh, a couple of days ago. So it was a um, forest fire management Victoria uh, backburn in the Mount Richmond uh, National Park. And I got alerted from a local bushwalker slash resident that she had a look in there and she found um, a couple of dead koalas. Um, I think what happens is that they go in in a, this is Forest Fire Vic, they go in in a ute and then they, uh, the guys walk along the sides of the tracks with these uh, devices that, you know, set fire to the bush. This uh, track was called Black Waterholes Track and they uh, walked along it for a couple of hundred metres and um, set fire to, or attempted to set fire to any native veg um, along the side of the track. A lot of this area shouldn't burn at all. And so um, I think when we were down there, we saw about 10 hectares had been burnt, but I think the, the forest fire Vic uh, wanted to burn a couple of hundred hectares, but a lot of the bush didn't catch on. And so, yeah, they, uh, they went along. Um, they claim that they're targeting uh, weed species such as coastal wattle, and 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 potosporum you know they they claim that the the fire management is a is a weed control sort of mechanism but what we observed two days ago was that they were burning off a managum and uh, brown stringy bark and managums are known down there as a 
as probably the most preferred koala tree in the uh, yeah, along with swamp gum. And yeah, didn't take the bushwalk along. She found two dead koalas. This was only in 20 minutes. There was another two that were uh, horribly burnt, had to be rescued. And when we went in on, on Saturday, we found another animal nearby, which wasn't burnt. But yeah, they were, they're just on this little stretch of road, there was five koalas within, you know, 200 metres, 300 metres. So if the burn would have gone to plan and they would have ended up incinerating hundreds of hectares, the, you know, the koala count and God knows what, 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 what other animals are in there would have been much, much higher. It appears that Forest Fire Management Victoria hadn't bothered to check to see if there were any native animals threatened by their burn. That appears exactly right. The site where uh, at the end of the track where we saw the, uh, the burnt female there were hundreds and hundreds of koala scats and, and, and I mean, I'd, I'd never seen that many scats, you know, and I've been doing a lot of koala research for the, over the last decade or more. I'd never seen so many scats. So obviously it was well inhabited by, I'd say, more, more than one animal. And uh, the scats were only two or three metres off the track. And the animal uh, would have been probably incinerated in the, in the branches of the, of, of, of the trees. So, you know, a, any idiot you know, if they would have walked or off the bush, only one or two metres would have seen that it was a, a densely populated uh, koala area. And on the other side of the track where we found a burnt um, animal, yeah, that was full of scats as well. So in the back of my mind, I'm sort of scratching my head saying, are these forest manage management crews, you know, totally uh, incompetent or potentially was it, was it deliberate? One would hope not. We can excuse incompetence to a certain level, but the images that you've posted on the Friends of Earth page clearly show a very large pile of koala scat, which means that tree had been in inhabited and used for a long period of time, probably a group of koalas, a local residents, but we're not talking about huge trees. These managums are not that big, are they? The, the Mount Richmond National Park, it's probably on poorer quality soil so the um the, yeah the managums down there don't appear to be growing that large although a little bit further along the tracks you can see some big brown stringy barks and and mesmates and um and, and a local did uh, take me to an area that had been burnt probably 10 years ago where there were some large very large trees that had had never re regenerated back after a, a hot burn that that went through uh, a few years ago so and the other thing that we've, which is really quite curious, is I, I don't know if you're aware of um, the koala massacre that happened down near Portland in 2020. Yes, yeah, certainly. There's two fellas up on 258 animal cruelty charges. They're, they're due in court in July. Anyway, after that massacre, I think there was about 50 animals killed. There was another 30 or so had to be euthanized, and they released. Uh, I think it was a hundred and something animals, but some of those animals were released at Mount Richmond National Park. And we've got a theory that some of the animals that were potentially killed or burnt during this recent backburn might have been survivors of that massacre that happened in 2020. I mean, there's, there's no way we can find out for sure, but yeah, and that sort of raises issues. Well, if the government authorities are regarding koalas in southwest Victoria as a, and I'll say this in inverted commas, as a pest species, then they're probably trying uh, potentially to cull them maybe through 
burn-offs. The koala situation in Victoria is much different to New South Wales and Queensland. The Queensland and New South Wales animals are listed under the EPBC Act. I think they're endangered now. In Victoria and South Australia, they're, uh, they're not listed under, under the Federal Act and we've got no real legal mechanism except the Wildlife Act to protect koalas. There has been uh, estimations there's about 460,000 koalas in Victoria, uh, but it's complicated because a lot of those animals were translocated from islands back in the, since then about the 1940s. But, you know, I, I don't know if your listeners are interested in the koala history in Victoria, but it's very different to New South Wales and Queensland. And quite confusing. In other states, relocation programs were not successful. In Victoria, because of the uh, nature of the forest, in some areas, the relocation programs are almost too successful, breeding large numbers and without adequate uh, wildlife corridors for the koalas to naturally spread out. They tended to overpopulate these areas where they were released. But surely the point here, Anthony, and, and you raised it, and I thank you for that, is isn't there a duty of care if these are those animals that were relocated from the massacre? Uh, surely there's some duty of care on DELP to ensure that they're put into a safe habitat. Well, well, exactly. And, and you'd think a national park would be protected. It's, a, it's, it's the highest sort of conservation status area uh, areas in Victoria for, for wildlife protection. And what this indicates to me is that any national park in Victoria is, is up for grabs by this Forest Fire Management Victoria. They can effectively go into any national park uh, in the state and carry out these burn-offs with no ramifications in regards to impacts on flora and, and, and fauna. So technically, I think what should happen here is that the Wildlife Act and the Animal Cruelty Act should be, should be thrown at, at, at this fire crew that, that, that went in there and conducted such a, a really poorly executed and poorly researched burn. It's, um, if, if these guys that uh, in 2020 that are up on animal cruelty charges for what happened at Bridgewater with the hundreds of koalas that were impacted by land clearing are, are in court, well, the, the government authority responsible for the burn-off should be under the same charges and effectively it should actually go up to the minister who's responsible. The unfortunate thing is previous episodes of this program has revealed there is absolutely no one actually responsible for our wildlife in Victoria. The care of wildlife is left to concerned rescuers and volunteers and without them this would just be another incident that happened Look, the big one we're facing now is down the southwest area, massive blue gum plantations full of koalas. And once harvesting begins, we're going to have a massive problem on our hands. Oh, yeah. Look, it's been, it's, we, we indicated this was a problem back in 2013. So I've been trying to sort of get people interested about, about these issues. There's, there's a couple of wildlife carers down there that are actually absolutely run off their feet, uh, dealing with injured and, and, and animals that have to be moved out of these blue gum plantations. Look, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a massive, massive problem. I was in a blue gum plantation yesterday that was halfway through being logged. And you're talking not, not a handful of animals in these plantations. There, there's literally hundreds. And I think there's been estimations of up, up to three or four animals a hectare. 
in in some of the blue gums in in where where the soil nutrients are, are really good so what happens after the clearing if generally the blue gum companies have to leave if they cite a koala pre-logging um, they have to leave at least nine trees around, around the koala if they return to the site after a month those nine trees and the koala's not in those nine trees they can take those nine trees and we were at a site near a place called Bioduck, um, which is sort of uh, just north of MacArthur in the southwest of Victoria. This is a couple of months ago. I went inside five or ten minutes in this particular plantation that had been logged. There, I saw five koalas within ten minutes. A local told me that uh, she'd found 35 a month earlier. And, you know... These areas are cleared, then the animals have to disperse. And if, there, uh, if there's no native vegetation for them to move into, they're victims of roadkill and, and all sorts of other, other problems. The other issue in the southwest at the moment, the Al- Alcoa smelter, that they've had um, a, a host of animals moving in, into their smelter. There was a couple of, that have been burnt really badly over the last couple of years. There's a big blue gum plantation near the smelter. There's been state government culling, and we've heard that only about a month ago, 50 animals were euthanised uh, just outside the, uh, the Portland smelter. And last year, they took out about 50 as well. So, yeah, the, the, the southwest is an absolute koala nightmare at the moment. And you're absolutely right. The, the blue gum industry moved into the area in the ni- late 1990s. There was a plan to treble the nation's plantation base. But no one anticipated that the koalas would uh, move into these blue gum plantations. So we're talking potentially a couple of hundred thousand animals in these um, in in the blue gum estate in southwest. And I should also point out it's not only blue gums that uh, there's been uh, koalas also found in radiator pine plantations, which sounds a bit odd. But um, we've found huge numbers of scats in radiata pine plantations apparently the koalas will move into the softwoods on really hot days it's a lot cooler apparently the um the blue gum industry has has sort of some koala management plan now but the softwood industry hasn't and you're looking at the um the green triangle region it stretches into south australia as well it's probably the number one plantation resource in australia so yeah, we're talking hundreds of thousands of, of koalas in those plantations. And yeah, and, and you know, if the plantations are logged, the koalas have to, if they survive, they have to move somewhere and they're putting pressure on uh, remnant native vegetation along roadsides. And um, yeah, it's a real, real headache, really. But no one's anticipated it. So, you know, government and industry cooked up this plan to plan out all these areas with plantations, but the koalas were an afterthought. Uh, really and you know and the same issue happened in kangaroo island um south australia they're translocated animals as well so there was uh something said uh, someone's read there could have been fifty thousand animals killed in koalas that is in the in the fires that went through in 2019 and that was largely uh the koalas that built up a massive population in the blue gum so on kangaroo island so yeah look it's a it's a headache Anthony, it is not just the numbers of koalas that are causing the problem. No doubt you are aware of four koalas trapped in a blue gum plantation at Gordon near Ballarat. Yeah. The environmental consultant hired by the owners of the plantation to go in and do an evaluation recommended 
that those four koalas be relocated. DELP, the Department of Conservation, refused to give a permit. Do you think this yeah. could be their worried this would set a precedent for all those other blue gum plantations? I'm pretty sure of it. I mean, like I said, I said earlier, uh, you know, we've been aware of these big blue gum concerns for over 10 years. And, you know, this Gordon incident has come along, but it's come along after, you know, absolute carnage in the southwest. And the government, you know, spent money on, on sterilisation programs since... The, about 2004, they've been, they've been sterilising animals at Mount Eccles, a place called Budgebim. It's a, it's, a, it's a very significant site for the Gunitjamara people down in the southwest. It's the biggest managum forest probably in the world. So, yeah, the government started sterilising animals back in 2004 with you know, horrendous consequences for, for some of the animals that, that had those processes taken. So... The, the Gordon incident at Ballarat, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It comes on the back of after 10 years of massive problems in the southwest. So the government's probably scratching its head thinking, we can't relocate hundreds of thousands of animals in the southwest. But, you know, I think uh, Gordon's completely sort of different. It's not, it's in a, it's in a much more sparse koala habitat there's a lot of habitat they could move these animals into and yeah for for delp not to do that and there's not that many blue gum plantations around the ballarat region actually so it's not it wasn't a big ask so i can't understand why they would have knocked that those permits back the department hasn't offered any reason and, and does not seem willing to do so but i've emailed the uh, minister's office again and we'll see if we can get a reply about why those four koalas at gordon were refused to be relocated when that would solve the problem and allow the harvesting to go ahead without all this hoo-ha anthony friends of the earth fantastic group is there one issue regarding koalas in Victoria that is uh, more important than what they're facing with the future harvesting of blue gums? Our main issue at the moment, and this is the one I've been working on for a long time as well, is the Streslecky Ranges. So the Streslecky Ranges is in Victoria's sort of southeast. It's about two hours from Melbourne. The most depleted bioregion in Victoria, believe it or not. Um, now, that little area contains the only uh, genetically robust population of koalas left in Victoria and South Australia. We estimate the Streslecki koala population is only about 1,500 to 2,000 animals, but it has, uh, you know, it, so in terms of Victoria and South Australia's koala population, that little population in, this, in the Streslekis is about 0.3% of the entire koala population in those two states, and yet it's it's the most genetically robust. It's actually a, a relic population, unlike any other koala population in Victoria and South Australia. So it's highly, highly significant. And we're doing uh, what we can at the moment to try and survey its habitat and try and get estimates on numbers and, and where the animals are located. If that little population falls or is, is knocked about or a huge bushfire event, um, the long-term future of all koalas in South Australia and Victoria will be severely jeopardised 
because they hold the genetic key for the long-term survival of the species. Uh, yeah, we've been trying to do what we can to raise the animal's profile. We, we're trying to get it listed similarly to animals in uh, koalas in, in Queensland and New South Wales under the EPBC Act, but we're facing stiff opposition against us by the Victorian state government who haven't shown any interest in this Streslecki animal at all. And just to add some icing to the cake, the Kennett government in the mid-90s sold most of the best habitat of the Streslecki koala to an international, so John Hancock Insurance Company for uh, plantations. <laughs> so we've got, you know, up to 50 to 60% of the best habitat is now in foreign hands. And we've been having a big arm wrestle with Hancock over the last 20 years to set aside areas and we've pressured them as best we can. But, you know, they're still, they're, they're logging plantations down there as well with koalas in them. Uh, not, they haven't got the same population as the, as the, in the plantations as in Southwest Victoria, but they're definitely down there. And um, we're just trying to raise the profile of this really, really important, it's a nationally significant population in the Streslekis. I didn't realise the complex nature of the Streslecki populations. I knew they were important. They, look, they've been a, a very important part of the regional tourism for many, many years. But we're talking about genetic pure koalas as opposed to relocated and, 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 and the mixed group that inhabit most of Victoria. This is like a, a gene bank. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And if you look at the history of the koalas in Victoria, um, they were basically extinct on the mainland um, by about the 1920s. Uh, in South Australia, they were extinct by, by the 1920s. So on mainland, South Australia and Victoria, there were no populations. So, well, that, that was assumed. And then the state government did a survey and they found a couple of sort of relic populations hanging on just south of Morwell, uh, Wilson's Prom, another place called Carajung, and another little place on the Basque Coast called Grantville. They were the only remnant populations left in Victoria. But earlier than that, 50 years earlier, there'd been some animals moved off onto French Island and Phillip Island. And those animals bred like wildfire. And then overbrowsing on French Island became so severe that they had to move animals off French Island onto Quail Island and then onto Snake Island. And then in the 1940s, they embarked on a uh, translocation program where they moved these animals, the, the tra these translocated animals back onto the mainland. And the issues we're having with overpopulation and overbrowsing are from those translocated animals, from the, from the very limited gene pool. I mean, there was only three animals originally transferred to French Island. So that's a very, very small population to base, um, you know, these populations both in South Australia and Southwest Victoria on. So it's a really interesting story. Um, I'm thinking about writing a book, but yeah, I don't know if I've got the time, but yeah, it's a really, really interesting story about you know, it hasn't the, the the sort of what you call inbreeding hasn't stopped them actually. Populations can boom very quickly in the translocated animals, but you know there's a lack of genetic diversity there that which doesn't look good for those animals in the long term. They're already showing sight. There's um, a disease called testicular aplasia. Uh, there's also uh, kidney problems in in some of the translocated animals. So 
yeah, they've got a a lot of issues. But like I said, uh, the state government doesn't differentiate between the translocated animals and the really important gene pool relic population, the Streslekis. Anthony, one of my biggest concerns is that over the years, uh, I've heard and seen reports about the damage. Touring government is trying to paint the koala uh, as almost a pest species because we're constantly getting stories about koalas eating out the habitat and destroying their own homes. Now, the last one I went out and checked out myself was down at Framlingham. Yeah. And the problem there was uh, that koalas were released into a limited habitat with no avenue to expand the population. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Haven't we learned anything? Yeah, well, look, the um, Framlingham, you're like, there's these isolated islands of, of, of habitat, particularly in the southwest. So, yeah, the connecting corridors and 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 all the rest haven't really, I mean, there's been some a little bit of good work by land care and that, but, yeah, the putting uh, translocated animals into the, these little islands uh, isn't really a long-term solution. And I think, I think of the state government, I think it's been suffering a lot from archaic thinking and, and they've got to really start addressing this much more holistically and, um, and looking at the long-term rather than sort of reacting on their back foot um, without any long-term st- strategic goals. It seems to me like we wait until an animal is at the tipping point before the governments do anything. It would be a hell of a lot easier just to get in and to support native habitat, which would in turn support our native wildlife. Yeah, well, well the other interesting thing with a lot of the translocated populations, they've gone, they go, they've gone through a boom and then bust, absolutely bust. And it be, would be interesting to track where the animals have been released. And I think you'd find that um, there's been a lot of translocations in Victoria and the animals haven't thrived. um, And I know of places where they've been released and you can't see any animals there at all anymore. So, you know, how successful has this translocation sort of exercise really been? And is the Southwest situation only going to be a short-term uh population boom and long term you know maybe the animals don't have a good long-term future down there i mean you've got to consider as we talked about you know the blue gum plantation 2004 2005 i mentioned before they were sterilizing animals due to over browsing and a huge population at, at budge bin mount eccles but uh, at the same time as they were sterilising these animals, um, just around Bajabim, I did some sums the other day, they planted 10,000 hectares of blue gum. So the animals would have, uh, in an already overbrowsed forest with population problems, that just spread out into these blue gums. So is it any wonder that, you know, now they go, come back and log the blue gums 15 years later and there's a koala problem? Yeah, so that's what I mean. There's, there's, there's no, there was no long-term plan... No one even foresaw that the blue gum plantations were even going to be koala habitat. I mean, a lot of the work in Queensland, New South Wales, in koalas is 20, 30 years ahead of the ahead of the game in Victoria. We're, we're sort of, it, it sort of boggles me, really. Um, you know, the knowledge and the work being done in, the, in Queensland, New South Wales is, is, is light years ahead of what's happening down here. I mean, we don't even know, for instance, in the Streslekis, how many animals are there? I mean, that's just outrageous. 
and it's up for it's up to me to go out and try to survey um you know what once a fortnight in areas that haven't been surveyed and and the only population surveys done in the Streslek is weren't done from Victoria. They were done by a team from New South Wales Parks and Wildlife back in 2013, 2014. And I tagged along. So there's more interest in the koalas of the Streslekis from New South Wales than there actually is in Victoria. Back in the early 90s, I remember reading a document called the Victorian Koala Management Strategy. And one of the top three recommendations for controlling koala numbers was to shoot them. It seems like we've just substituted the gun for other control methods now, but the mentality is still the same. Yeah, well, that's that's why in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, was were these burns at Mount Richmond deliberate in terms of reducing koala numbers i'm still thinking that in the back of my mind i mean if you go to if you went down there and had a look any idiot could have seen that it was prime koala habitat and it just makes no sense at all to want to burn it absolute no sense at all unless you wanted to do a cull on animals that were perceived to be a problem the, the thing is this wasn't a uh, wildfire burn. This was a controlled burn to remove pest species of plants to try and improve the environment. It shouldn't have affected the koalas anyway. From what we saw, there was a lot of, uh, you know, the, the canopies of some of the trees were scorched beyond, you know, that the, it was actually a high intensity burn in places. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, that area where that animal, the, the female was killed, I mean, yeah, that was a that was a hot fire, and I doubt whether the trees around that area would survive at all. Yeah, it was bizarre. I, yeah, I don't know what was going on. It was really odd. Anthony, I, I am lost for words. Um, I I really don't want to keep harping about how incompetent our Victorian Conservation Department appear to be. Perhaps I'm just too stupid to understand, but. You've got a koala in a tree, you don't light a fire under it. The koala isn't going to run from the flames, it just climbs up. The other thing to consider is, like, we've got this fire regime management system now in Victoria, and like I said, I think before, like, if, if your national parks aren't protected from these vandals, um, ev everything's up for grabs. Um, I don't know, don't know if you're aware that about two or three weeks ago, there was a, a backburn that went out of control in the Warby Ranges near Wangaratta. And these are nationally, uh, internationally significant areas. And they're, they're looking at the you know, thousands of trees have been, have been killed. Um, there's a very good uh, YouTube clip that's been put up about a week ago from the Warby Ranges just showing the impacts of, of the fire that went out of control. And then you've got um, all these fire burns that are going on throughout East Gippsland and the Central Highlands. And, it, I mean, if people did what we did, went in soon after these fires, I'm sure you're going to get um, yeah, a mountain of, of, of fauna impacts, uh, of animals impacted. Uh, I mean, our patch that we saw was only very small, and this might be what, one of the most the best things that comes out of this incident is it's going to shed a light on what else is going on out there um, throughout Victoria with these horrendous burn-off operations, which effectively look like they're being done by, you know, drunk cowboys. 
it has certainly attracted a lot of international interest. So we will make contact with you to get updates along the way. I am interviewing Jessica Robertson, who was down there on the weekend as well. And we are sort of like trying to support our koalas the best we can. Anthony, thank you so much for your time. Listeners to this program will know uh, Jessica Robinson, Ballarat koala rescuer, wildlife carer. She was down there in Mount Richmond National Park on the weekend. Yeah, so I was contacted by someone uh, in the know down there and asked to come down and help look for survivors because the situation was pretty terrible. I didn't know what to expect, although I had been told some bodies had already been found, incinerated koalas. So I, I was I was pretty anxious actually heading down. Didn't know what I was going to find when I got there. Um, but we were asked because I don't know whether you know, but there's, there's quite a few burns going on down there simultaneously. So to cover more ground, my partner and I went to a different site looking because there was a burn there. And we, we spent hours trying to get through these you know, bush tracks with our car. We really needed a four-wheel drive, but there were just spot burns everywhere, but we couldn't get inside the forest. Like we couldn't get into where the actual burn was located on the map. And uh, that was pretty distressing because all we could hear were gunshots going off. And we just could not, because it ricochet, you know, the sound ricochets in, in forest, we just couldn't work out the direction. So by the time we finally got the direction and got inside, we couldn't get through the tracks because we didn't have a four-wheel drive. So it was very frustrating. So we ended up just going to meet the others at the Mount Richmond site. And it was, you know, getting pretty late by the time we got there. So we we just basically um, drove around the perimeter because we couldn't get inside. It was so badly burnt. You know, trees were burnt. All the canopies were burnt in large sections of the, of the National Park. And it was still steaming hot and there was steam coming up. And I just thought, and it was raining actually when we got there. And so we were just looking, desperately looking for survivors. And I did find one, one koala pretty quickly, actually. I know that Delt were interviewed by Yahoo today, and I read that article. And I saw that they mentioned that inspectors go in to basically see what impact it's going to have on wildlife and to keep it under control and what have you. Well, I don't know where they were because there was so much burnt Obviously, a lot of animals would have deceased in this fire. There is no doubt in my mind. And we couldn't even get in. We, so I don't know how inspectors would have got in because it was far too dangerous for us to go in. So we were basically stuck to the perimeter of the park. And it was pretty easy to see koalas on the edge. I mean, obviously, they were looking for green trees and there were some around the edge. But the one I saw was visibly injured. Its ears were singed. It was walking very gingerly, trying to get away from me as I was approaching. I could see it was in pain, yes. So, you know, there, there's some really injured wildlife in there and the pain that they must be suffering, I cannot even imagine. And we can't get to them. We just can't get to them. That was really frustrating. We had to leave Portland that night. So, you know, it was, by the time it got dark, we couldn't, we couldn't do anything else, unfortunately. Yeah, but we will be going back down there later in the week. From the information I got from Forest Fire Management Victoria, looking at their burn list, this was supposedly, I don't know, a small burn to control some invasive plant species. 
it shouldn't wow. have been a real hot burn causing a lot of problems. Wow. So what were they thinking? That is just, that does not make any sense. What's, what I saw, the landscape was completely raised. Like it was in parts, it was that trees, managums, completely like all the canopies burnt. It, I mean, you must have seen the photos that have been pub publicised. That's pretty much where the burnt areas, that's what they look like. It was it was really frightening actually to see that, to think how many animals would have died. So weeds, I don't think so. No. Sorry, not buying that. The thing that amazed me, I have never seen a larger pile of scat under a tree. Now that means that tree has been used for a long time by a number of koalas and it was quite obvious that... Mm anyone walking past would have seen koalas in that tree because these are a, a stunted managum. They're not a huge tree. It isn't like the koalas would be out of sight. They just didn't show any due diligence. That's right. No, like I said, it was really easy to spot them because the trees aren't really tall. And, yeah, they didn't do any checking. I can tell you that. I mean, there was so much scat there. They, they, they would have been. They would have seen them. They, they, they just couldn't. I could not have seen koalas. That the the local, the local that actually found the koalas. She she walks through there all the time, and she takes visitors through there because they want to see koalas, and they see them all the time. They're abundant. They were. It's a known koala habitat. Lots of them. We have no real figure at the moment. How many koalas have been discovered so far, either injured or deceased? Look, I haven't spoken to anyone down there today, but I know that two were taken to Werribee Zoo yesterday and were euthanized. I can't remember if it was two and a joey that was found, or maybe the joey was one of the injured. I, I really can't remember. Uh, um, but, yeah, no, none of them have survived. Even the survivors that have been found have not survived. So, And every yeah. day that gets by, their chances of survival lessens for any of those burnt koalas. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine they would have severe burns, they could get infection, their eyes would be completely irritated, they'd be dehydrated, they'd be so unwell. I mean, I guess really at this, at this point, if we can't get in, if you can't get in, they suffer and they probably come to ground when they're, they're so sick and that's when you could probably get them. But that's all that suffering, like it's insane. With the problems faced by koalas in Australia, it seems like the biggest danger to koalas in Victoria is the Department of Conservation. What's going to happen when those big blue gum plantations get harvested? Yeah, well, they're being harvested all the time. Yeah, this is the problem. Dealt by the problem in more ways than one. I mean, obviously, this kind of thing is just completely complete, you know, incompetence, really. If, if it was a mistake, I don't really know. No one can really say that, can they? But in, ter in terms of how they work for industry and don't really regulate these industries that are there for profits, there for making profits, time is money, not regulating them the way they should be regulated. So God knows, God knows what's happening in those plantations. I mean, there will be, there's, you know, according to Delp, 50,000, probably more in those, in those plantations. And I actually drove to Portland for the first time and I, I was, just gobsmacked it was just like a sea of plantations on farmland so where the hell are those koalas going to go when these come down like it's they're not allowed to be relocated we know that don't we so where are they going to go what is going to be done with them this is a major issue for delp and they know it 
and they don't know how to deal with it. Media hotline at Delp were very quick to inform me. We'll get back to you. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I thank them for replying so quickly, but I would have liked a couple of answers. I only asked two questions. What happened at Mount Richmond? And why was the relocation permit refused for the Gordon koalas? And that second question is now about the third or fourth time I've asked it. Never got a reply. So I think, look, we all know this is just the tip of the iceberg, but it's what happens now that's going to set what happens in the future. It just is of great concern to me personally. This is an example of how they value our wildlife. Well, God knows what's happening behind closed doors. God knows, like, I hate to think. I mean, we all, as carers, we, we see it. We see it regularly, what happens. But know, somehow you just rationalise it and think, well, you know, surely someone's checking on them. But I don't think that is happening. Deep inside, I think a part of the problem is the, the reorganisation of our services. We now have this new organisation called Forest Fire Management Victoria, uh, which is basically in the past would have been the DCE or CFNL or DELPS firefighting section. They're firefighters. They're not conservationists. They're not environmentalists. They're not biologists. And they're certainly not animal rescuers. They're mm. fireys. They light and fight fires as a part of a plan by the state government to control invasive weeds and lessen fuel loads. We don't send a biologist in to repair our car. We get a mechanic. DELP has to put in biologists, environmentalists, or even experienced rescuers who would easily identify sensitive areas that have to be protected. I don't blame the firemen for doing what they do. The fireys do a fantastic, but not when you're dealing with wildlife. I, I actually feel a bit traumatised from it, to be totally honest with you. We don't see a lot of that kind of stuff, or certainly not in the open, because we don't have industry here in Ballarat. But what the carers and rescuers must see and have to deal with day-to-day in that place, in that hellhole of a place... And it really is the killing fields for koalas. I don't know how they cope, to be totally honest with you. Volunteers, these volunteer carers are just amazing. Like they're taking in multiple koalas every week. They're caring for them. And then they have to put them out there in the back into the war zone. I don't know how they cope, to be totally honest. There is certainly no transparency on behalf of the department when it comes to koalas. Look, I've seen strategy, management strategy plan after plan, yet nothing seems to really get done, especially seeing the introduction of the policies on plantations. It's only complicated the issue, hasn't helped at all. Well, none of us have even heard of the outcome, you know, the repercussions of the 2020 massacre of the koalas at Cape Bridgewater. Nobody actually knows what's changed in terms of the policies as a consequence of that. Nobody knows. Do you know? I don't know. We, we see we, we see very little in the media. We can't seem to get any information. I don't think anything will change. I think they, they think that they don't need to be held to account. The conservation directorate don't answer any of my calls or emails anymore ever since uh, I found out, of course, they're prosecuting over the Bridgewater massacre. Mm. And I suggested that, their failure to allocate 
a permit to relocate the Gordon koalas could open up the directorate to charges under the Cruelty to Animals Act. And they haven't replied to me since. No sense of humour, those people, honestly. <laughs> no. Kate Gavins has a lot to answer for. She, she's the buck stops with her. She's the operations person. She's the one that, I mean, the buck stops with her. So, like, all this stuff that's happening, all this atro- these atrocities to our wildlife, the buck stops with her. People and people who I respect and have known for, uh, for many years, they all tell me that the minister, Lily, is a wonderful, caring and considerate person. I hear that too. Mm. I can't even put it in a word. I feel shocked by this, seeing those images, and especially the walker who photographed and supplied those initial images is to be congratulated because she documented the scene beautifully. She not only took images of the incinerated koalas, but their bodies in relation to manigum trees and the fact that there was huge piles of scat under those trees. And Anthony, I think Anthony said, it was only like a a metre or two off the walking track. It isn't like it was hidden in a valley or on top of a hill well inside the park. It was alongside a public access walking track. I didn't see it personally. I, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. But I knew where it was. I knew the location. And that was pretty that was pretty close to the track. Yeah. So God knows deeper deeper into that park what the scene might have been. I can't even imagine. This is developing where both frustrated by this we can't believe it's happening and this is happening in small little pockets but these are just the first skirmishes of what we see coming as a big battle for koalas and talking with anthony from friends of the earth i am now really getting into the issue of the stress lecky koalas and that really needs to be looked at so hey you've got some work in front of you jess it's never ending you know, you just scratch the surface into these industries and, and how they're being, well, not being regulated and the atrocities that are happening behind closed doors. You, you just scratch the surface and it's just mind-blowing. There is so much more happening beyond what we're talking about today. In, in a lot of the carers in Portland would have, would know, would have would know a lot, but they probably don't speak out because they live in a town where industry owns the town. Uh, I know that some of them have been threatened. I know that some of them have had bombs go off in their backyard, homemade bombs. They fear, they're fearful. They, you know, they are a threat to, they're there volunteering there every single day to caring for the wildlife that are being massacred. And they feel threatened every day. They can't, they feel like they can't speak for their own safety. And it's just, yeah. In southwestern Victoria, there's two, especially around that Portland area, there are two major employers. One's a smelter and the other one is the plantation industry. You don't stand a chance if you ever have to come up against either of those two companies. Jess, look on that, any further updates on the Gordon Koalas? Um, no, look, it's it's fallen a little bit quiet, uh, which is concerning. Um, I think that they're probably waiting for things to die down a bit. Um, they're hoping we'll go away, perhaps, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> Are you going happen. away? 
<laughs> I'm not going anywhere. Uh, um, no, and, and I'm here to report you not going away. Yeah, it's I'm not going anywhere. None of us are. We've got a really strong group of supporters who are just waiting in the wings to say when. And uh, yeah, so just if if anyone from from Midway or Central Highlands is listening, we're not going away. Look, the good thing is, and you pointed it out on social media, is that you know a shout out to the owners of the plantations for at least keeping the lines of communications open. No, not the plantations. It's not who's. It's not Midway. Midway have never ever engaged with us. Central Highlands Water. I have opened the lines of communication with me and it's been respectful and we, you know, um, he lets me know if, what, how things, he updates me once a week to let me know if Midway have communicated when they will start the harvest. And so Midway will, won't, won't communicate with us. And I'm, I'm sure they've been told by Delt not to communicate with us, not that they would want to anyway. But uh, no, it's, it's Central Highlands Water. And the only reason we do have this open line of communication is because Central Highlands Water is a public company. If this was a private landowner, there'd be none. There wouldn't be any negotiation with community. I would like to argue with you, but I can't. We all both know that's, you know, the only good thing about it is that we're dealing with a public company that has to answer the shareholders. And that's why just on that, like, so Central Highlands have, have said that they'll leave a buffer of, of blue gums, just a buffer, it's a small buffer, because that's we've we've negotiated that you know don't don't leave some trees for these koalas um just so they can have something before they move on but private landowners have absolutely no obligation to leave any trees they lease their land to the plantation companies and the plantation companies take all the trees there's nothing left there's nothing left for the koalas in those plantations in the southwest they can only leave trees around the koala if it's there in the tree, supposedly. Supposedly they do that. They leave the trees and then they can't. But as soon as the koala's moved on, they'll knock those down. But in terms of leaving a buffer or any trees per, like semi-permanently, and by all means, Central Highlands are not leaving those blue gums permanently. They are just there for the short term. Yeah, like there's no obligation from landowners to do that. Just... A question out of left field. You posted uh, some video on social media about the machinery used to harvest trees. These automatic giant machines that come in, cut the tree off, strip the branches off, cut them to length, and it's all automated. Do you know if that's the type of machinery that will be used in a blue gum plantation? Well, that, that, I think that video was of a blue gum plantation. So, oh, yeah, okay. I assume, I mean, I look, time is money, like I said, for this company. And that, that machinery, I'd say, would be used a lot. My concern was any koala in that tree would be just shredded. Well, they wouldn't have much of a chance if they weren't spotted. And that's what I mean. Like, no one, no one from government is there regulating. No, no one is there. They've got spotters. But the spotters are employed by the plantation companies, complete conflict, conflict of interest. Yeah. <laughs> They're not there to look after the koalas. There's so many fantastic people fighting for the koala all around the world. Mm. And I can hear the sounds of their heads banging against walls. We shouldn't have to fight business and the government. One or the other, yeah, but not both together. And, you know, this is where we have a Labor government in Victoria. And Liberals, I'm sure, would be worse. I 
almost guarantee it would be worse. It wouldn't be better, that's for sure. Um, couldn't get any worse, really. I don't think it could get any worse. Maybe it could, but oh God, sorry. Um, yeah, both sides of government um, have shown that they don't care for the environment. They, they don't even mention it. They didn't even mention it in the election campaigns, in the campaigning, which was amazing to me. <laughs> um, yeah, both sides of government, they just care about industry growth people. They differ on some things, but that's why people, people want something different now. They care oh, about the environment. I know people do. Exactly. Um, just look at the uh, recent story about the ACT kangaroos. Because it is pseudo-environmental, the Greens are supporting the killing of kangaroos. Everybody should be looking after the environment. It's everybody's responsibility, and it's everybody's responsibility to look after wildlife. But the government department that's regulating and keeping people accountable for not doing that needs to be doing it in the best interest of the environment and of our wildlife, and currently they are not. And to finish up this koala debacle, I thought we'd better get a, a word in from Gary from the UK. Of course, uh, listeners to the program remember Gary from Thor and Tali Koalas in the UK. Very opinionated, and he is just as confused over this issue as we are. How can a conservation department destroy the animals and the trees they're trying to protect while claiming they're trying to protect the animals and the trees? Does not make any sense. The Mount Richmond thing is just unbelievable I still can't get my head around how this has come about I mean I'm not sure who to blame I mean pointing the finger who to blame you know someone's got there is there's got to be somebody accountable for this because the FFM in Victoria obviously um, are appointed by uh, the DWLP and you know the others and obviously they get their orders they know what they've got to do um, they're supposed to be they're supposed to be controlling the invasive weeds, but what they seem to have done, I mean, I, I, you know, what they've done is they've, the invasive weeds or not, whether, they, whether they've um, got rid of those, they've also got rid of a load of trees in a plantation where there was koalas. And at the end of the day, they, they, they started a burn, which was two metres in from a, like a pathway or a, you know, um, some sort of like opening where the public can go, which to me is absolutely, that's just nuts, crazy. Another thing, because obviously this has been all over social media, as you well know, the pictures that were uploaded and posted um, by a, a frequent walker, should we say, a frequent walker who was, who walks, through these um this plantation these woods frequently sees koalas all the time knows the area quite well and found probably the most horrific sight anybody could come across you know on on what's supposed to be i, I guess a pleasant walk um there's there's thousands of according to you know certain people's posts and statistics there's supposed to be thousands and thousands of scats under trees which means that these trees, this plantation is used frequently by a number of koalas, not one or two, but a, a number of koalas that probably go through there frequently and feel that they have a safe passage. But unfortunately, 
that that hasn't been the case here. That really hasn't, Rob. Those images, I must admit, in all my years, I've never seen a pile of scat. And if people are a little bit unsure what scat is, it's basically the droppings, the poo. And the koalas <clears> poo <throat> fall at the base of the tree. And there was such a huge pile, which indicates that tree had been a residence to a koala for a long period of time, or it was used and visited by a number of koalas. But this is inside a national park. Uh, I can't believe it. I'm still shaking my head. Gary, you're right. The walking track was used by the, the people setting the fire. They just wandered along it with a, a hot stick, so like a modified flamethrower, if you like, wow. and set fire to the bush alongside the, the trail. If they'd stopped yeah. and looked, they would have seen the koalas and seen the piles of scat. <clears throat> there's no no excuse. There's no explanation. It just defies all logic. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I, I'm with you. I mean, I, I shake my head, bang my head. Um, I, I just, I, I, you know, it's it is beyond belief. You know, I, I've I've had this. It's not so much an argument that I've had, but I've had these discussions with people on um, Facebook, social media, and stuff about procedures. Now, I mean. You can't tell me that there are not precautionary measures that have to be taken in order to protect the wildlife and the, you know, not just koalas, but all wildlife that more than likely use this area as as frequently as they can, because it's probably, as far as they're concerned, somewhere of safety, somewhere of like residence, somewhere of like congregation, if you like. And, you know, it, it defies logic. How can you not? have how could you i mean i still can't get my words out it's just it's unbelievable how can you not know that there's going to be wildlife in in especially in a plant in, in a place like this a national park and i understand the invasive weed thing and yeah you do have to have these like things regulated so you know for the bigger picture of if there is to be a another hot summer like there was in uh, 2019 2020 you don't want another catastrophe i understand that i get the whole thing but this is this has been done blind if, if you understand what i mean this has been done with no there, there is no way that you can't see that many scats and i bet that I, I bet that that was not even the first pile i bet there was loads but the problem is it's been ignored it's it's been completely overlooked and you know where where do you point the finger at this who who is somebody who's somewhere People, person, they're accountable. Someone is accountable, mate. And this cannot go on. Can't get this. Cannot go and be brushed under the carpet. It just can't. No, and believe me, it won't be. The department is looking into it. And uh, the thing is, it's happened inside a national park under the guise of forest mm. management. The whole yeah. idea was to remove a couple of species of plants. Not, not foreign weeds, these are native plants, but they are endangering yeah. the managums in the National Park. Well, the crazy thing is there's photographs of the dead koalas completely incinerated are laying at the base of completely incinerated managums, the trees that the berm was supposed to protect. So the whole yeah. thing is illogical. It is. Uh, you know, it, like you say, it, def it defies logic. I mean... I, I just, I can't, I can't understand how you wouldn't know. And I mean, the picture that builds in one's head is one of just sheer horrifying 
images and like what oh, what the koalas must I can't even start to think what the koalas must have gone through because like they don't they don't they don't climb down they don't know how to escape they climb up and as we all know trees eventually stop fire doesn't it just keeps going until it destroys so you know I mean, and it's the most horrific of ways of of, of meeting your demise like you know it defies anything that that anyone's mind would ever want to accept it's unbelievable and also from other things that I've read on social media there was and what I've heard people say that there was koalas that were actually writhing in agony you know they had to be put out of their misery nobody really knows the real count of how many not just koalas but animals altogether different species were either injured or killed in this so-called managed burn the moment we have uh, yeah. two koalas that were incinerated at the scene. There were two koalas rescued with uh, burns to, to feet and singed fur. Unfortunately, after being transported to specialist vets, those two animals had to be euthanized. And in yeah. correspondence from the department from DELP today, I find out that uh, their field teams had discovered one dead koala as well. So I was not able to ascertain whether that one dead koala they found is one of the two that were located or that's the fifth victim of the burn so far. Either way, I mean, irrespective of numbers, this this sh should have been avoided. It should never have happened. You know, these, these guys, I know that they, they do their job and, you know, these are, these are I don't know if they're for professional people or whether this is something they do for a living or, you know, because obviously I'm not, I'm not from Australia and I don't really know the protocols of this type of thing. But what I do know is I've stated to, to many people on social media, the Wildlife Act of 1985, you know, it, it, it's the preventative measure, no matter who you work for, no matter where you are, protects the animals from any kind of injury, death or dismay or whatever. You're not, you know, that, all animals are protected under this, you know, and unfortunately they weren't, they were, they were completely overlooked. I don't even personally, I don't even think that anybody even checked. I just, I just don't, I've got this sneaking feeling, if you like, that nobody bothered to do uh, the precautionary checks that anyone with any kind of brain power would know that that is the right thing to do. Look, it's quite possible, Gary. Look, anything is. It's a remote national park in the far yeah. southwest of the state of Victoria. The forest management teams have goals and aims as set by their bosses, and I'm just not sure how qualified they are in matters to do with wildlife. There may have been a, a check done sometime in the past when this uh, berm was planned, but surely they should go in immediately ahead of the fire. I got a statement from DELP today saying that the, the fire was lit in pockets to allow animals the chance to flee. And as you rightly pointed out, koalas don't flee. They climb no. up. So they are trapped right. in the trees. Like you say, I, I mean, again, it's common sense, okay? Common sense that tells you, I mean, Look, koalas are known, known throughout the world, and even I know that, and I'm from the UK. I know that koalas climb trees. They don't danger by climbing up a tree. They get injured by a road, you know, hit on the roads or whatever, um, predatorial stuff, attacked by dogs. They climb trees. That's all they know. They don't know anything else. 
these people everybody knows these these are statistics that people know they, they're not and it, it doesn't it doesn't like i said it doesn't take a lot of brain power to to work logic out you know and koalas climb trees but so does fire fire climbs very very quickly they absolutely crucify me to even think about that they really do um i think just touching on another subject uh, i don't know if it was about the the, the warby rangers that was another one you'd know about that um the warby rangers the fire is supposed to be a cool burn and this is another one that went completely out of control went completely wrong and pretty much from what i understand just decimated the area it was a huge mistake uh, the warby fire it's got to be done better it's got to be done smarter and it's very awkward to call something a controlled burn that's killing animals no, absolutely. I, and again, I, I couldn't agree with you more. The preventative measure, as we, as you just, as we, you know, as we um, said earlier, was meant to control the issues of what destroys the managums and the, you know, and everything else. But they destroyed the managums doing what they were supposed to be doing. You know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. Surely what kind of people are doing this job? It doesn't make any sense. I, I can't get my head around it. I really can't. In an interview that I'm playing tonight in this program, uh, you'll hear there's a region of the Mount Richmond National Park where a controlled cool burn took place a number of years ago, and right. it has simply killed off the trees. None of them are regenerated. Wow. Wow. Mm. So what was the point of that? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Am I, I'm, I'm I missing? I'm sorry, Rob, but am I missing something here? Well, it's not just you. Um, you're the third person I've interviewed, and I had to edit the two previous interviews because we ended up just shaking our heads and saying, "I we don't understand how yeah. this is happening. Tonight we've heard from Anthony from Friends of the Earth who's been studying the koala issues uh, for over 10 years, and... Mm. He's at a complete loss. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, that in itself, that's self-explanatory. The man's been doing it for over a decade. And even uh, if a man with that experience, that time served with koalas, if he can't get his head around it, then we're at a loss. You know, I'll keep going over it and I'll keep saying it, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to repeat myself, but how could there not have been precautionary measures? I just don't understand. And I know koalas are not endangered in Victoria. Which again, is an uh, I still uh, the population aside, it still doesn't make any sense. But to a, a species of animal that are so a beautiful, b precious, and c just so sentient, so you know they they cause no problems, none at all. They sit in a tree, they eat eucalyptus, they sleep their life away, and then they do it all again the next day. Okay, that's the program. Totally unbelievable. More news as it develops on the Mount Richmond koalas. For next time, my name's Rob Armstrong, and this is The Wildlife. <laughs>